birds that are singing in the spring air They're giving everything they need They don't worry where their next meal will come from They don't worry about a thing So just look around you And give a listen to the song Creation sing And don't you worry cause you're in See the flowers in their colorful beauty They're dressed better than a king They don't worry about what they should wear, no They don't worry about a thing So just look around you And try to listen to the song creation sings And don't you worry cause you're in Grab a seat. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. Well, it's good to see everyone. Glad you're here together. Glad to be together in this space to come together as a family of faith uh, into um, a time where we get to set our minds, attentions, and hearts, affections upon Jesus. And that's what we're after today. Um, uh, to over the next few moments to turn our attentions to Jesus and all that He means to us. Um, to let our minds um, and hearts rest in all that he's done for us so that we might leave this place and follow him into the ordinary, uh, everyday things that are happening in the week to come uh, and that we might do so together as a family. Um, and so that's, that's our hope. That's our desire. If you're new with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here to, to worship with us. Um, we say this every Sunday. Um, this is not church for us. This is just the church coming together um, to, again, set our minds, attentions, and hearts, affections upon Jesus so that we might be the church together throughout the week, that we might actually walk hand in hand together with Jesus, helping one another be the men and women that God desires us to be, to be the ones he's created us to be for his uh, glory and our good and our the good of our neighbors. And so that's our hope. That's our desire. And so in just a few moments, we're going to open the scriptures. We're going to sing songs. We're going to receive communion. We'll do all the kind of things that you think of when we come to a, a place of worship. Um, but again, the whole intention is that in this moment that we're able to rest on a foundation so that we might be able to walk well and on a steady path after we leave this place. And so that's our hope. That's our desire, and we're glad you're here to do that with us. A few announcements um, before we get going into what uh, some of the things that we have going as a faith family in the coming days. Um, as, you, as you know, every Monday, um, Mondays are kind of a way to start our week together in adoration, in worship of God, in praising God for the giver, the giver of life, for all of life that's given. And so Monday mornings, you have an opportunity to join in um, in a time of prayer in the morning and a time of prayer and worship in the evening um, with Kyler leading it. Kyler right down here. You can wave. I think everybody knows Kyler, but if you don't, this is Kyler. And so really encourage you to take advantage and be a part of adoration. The goal of adoration isn't simply just to start our weeks off in worship, but to, by God's grace, to see a house of prayer raised up in Victory Meadows, um, a place where the nations have come together within our city um, so that we might get to experience and see every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus together, which would be a really beautiful thing, something that the Lord has put upon our hearts and in his scriptures as his desire and something we will strive for as a faith family. So I hope you'll be a part of that. 
Also, as a reminder, the second Wednesday of every month, we do a corporate fast. And so while it's still a couple weeks away for us, we just had one um, a week or so ago, um, this is just a reminder that once a month we set aside a day to fast together. Um, and so whether you fast from dinner the night before until dinner the next day uh, and, and break the fast with us in communion at worship in the evening, or you just do an intermediate fast, a fast here or there um, throughout it, it's just an opportunity to take our sacred grievous moments before the Lord together to seek him and to long to see his kingdom come, his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I really hope you'll make that a part of your regular routine. I know summer schedules got us going all over the place as a faith family, but this will be a constant rhythm um, for us. And so I hope you will take advantage of that. And um, so last but not least, um, today is today and this weekend are kind of special days and a special weekend, right? Today's Father's Day. I hope, I hope as dads out there that you woke up and had a great breakfast and your coffee already made for you and like some awesome presents and all that kind of stuff. That was my experience. If that wasn't yours, well, haha. Um, no, uh, seriously, like it's, it's a fun day. It's a great day. It's a day to celebrate um, uh, what it means to be a dad, the joys of being a dad, what it means to have a father in heaven. And that's some of the stuff we'll talk about in a moment. But this weekend's also kind of been a big weekend for, uh, for others in our community, for those within our community that um, yesterday was Juneteenth. Um, and while this celebration has been around for over 100 years, established as a state holiday for 40 plus years, um, yesterday marked the first inaugural national celebration of Juneteenth. Um, and it's an opportunity for us, whether we are familiar with that celebration, whether we participate in it or not, if it's new or whatever, to, to recognize the grievousness of what caused that celebration, um, that something really atrocious and awful is a part of our history, um, which, which was slavery, right? And that, that that was ended. And so there's this celebration of what was evil being ended, but at the same time, there's this the constant need to remember and to hope for something more. And so, so hopefully as this, this day becomes something that our whole nation remembers and celebrates, our whole nation engages in the history that we've come from and in the hope in the future that we're going to, it will be something more and more that we can participate in even as a faith family. And so, um, so for those that got to be a part of it, I know many in our faith family, our brothers and sisters, is a, is a really important day. It has been for a long time and even more so uh, yesterday. So just want to, um, want to acknowledge that and want to, um, to say... Um, yeah, I'm glad that we get to, to be a part of it with you. And so thanks for letting us be a part of your journey in that and helping us learn about those things. And so, so that's all the announcements. That's more announcements than you probably needed. And so let's do what we're here to do, which is to set our minds, attentions, and hearts, affections upon Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. And when I pray for us, here's what we're going to ask. We're just going to ask the Spirit to do what the Spirit does, to be present with us, to open our ears and our eyes to the reality of God with us, so that for the next few moments, whatever those moments look like, whatever we come in with, whatever we uh, have coming, um, coming after this, that we'll be able to be present to his presence. And so will you pray with me? And then Sam's going to come up and begin our time of worship with God's word. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you that you have made um, us in a way that we're drawn, Father, Lord, not just to you, but together in you to worship you, to encourage each other to walk in the way that is good and true and right and beautiful because it's your way, because you're a good God. 
And so this day when we, we, we mark um, Lord freedom and hope and we mark, Father, the, the fact that you are Father, I pray that we would, um, yeah, that we would just have ears to hear what your Spirit says, eyes to see in your Scriptures, you in your fullness of what you do and what you've done in Jesus. Be with us. Allow us to be here. All this we pray in the name of your Son who has died, who is living. In Jesus' name, amen. Samuel, come up. I'll live with them. I'll live in them. Move into them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. The word of the master God. Thank you, Sam. Y'all are welcome to stand. And we'll just continue singing that truth together. We have a Father in heaven who loves for us, who cares for us, provides for us, protects us in the good and the bad, when we've lost our way, when we feel sure of ourselves along the way, that God is with us as our Father. This is my Father's world, to my listening Sings around me, rings music of the Father's work, no way. 
to die shall be satisfied on earth and heaven This is my Father's world The battle is not done Jesus to die shall be satisfied kids this morning, you're welcome to go ahead and head on back. The rest of us, I want to invite you, we'll continue together in song. I don't have a 
kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend All I know is I need you So I run to the Father Fall in the grace I'm done with the hiding The reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon Hold on to the Father again and again and again and Long before my first breath Running into your arms Is running through life from death And I feel this rush deep in my chest Your mercy is calling out Just
whatever our experience has been growing up or even now with our earthly fathers, Lord, may you renew our minds as we experience you as our Father in heaven. Lord, help us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. You're welcome to be seated. Out of respect for Jesus, be courteously reverent to one another. Children, do what your parents tell you to do. This is only right. Honor your father and mother is the first command that has a promise attached to it, namely, so you will live well and have a long life. Fathers, don't exasperate children by coming down on them hard. Them, uh, sorry, <laughs> take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. We, uh, we really emphasize the first part of that, children do what your parents tell you. And, uh, and so, good job, buddy. Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll kind of, we'll kind of use this text as our, um, our grounding place for our time this morning. Um, for those that, that I don't know or who don't know me, um, my name is Jeremy Pace. I am an apprentice of Jesus, a husband to Deidre, a son to Lynn and Karen over here, a uh, pastor within our faith family and a father to twin nine-year-olds, Cohen Maddox, who you just met, and then Lily Alana down here in the front as well. Um, and oh yeah, also I'm a sinner uh, who fails in all these relationships, um, but especially uh, in the fathering one. Um, parenting is a, for, for those that are parents, I mean, you know this, right? It's a, it's a complex thing. It's, it's, a, it's a weighty and glorious thing. Um, it's undoubtedly been one of the most joyous and vivifying experiences of my life. Parenting brings with it a continual source of gratitude, of laughter, of delight, and love. Yet, the day-to-day -day reality of raising up a son or daughter with the aim of them living well, as the, the, um, um, Paul referenced in, um, in 2 Corinthians, living well and long after they leave our house, after they leave their mom and my uh, quintodian care, has proven to be an enormous weight and responsibility. I don't know about you as parents, um, whether you're a father or a mother, um, just the idea that you're responsible to, um, um, to raise up someone to be a good human <laughs> carries a lot of weight. It's more than just survival, right? Um, and, and again, like the, 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 the first part of the, the commandment that Paul quotes here, this, this commandment that, which is the first commandment in the 10 that has a promise attached to it, um, we're, all for, we're all for, right? Um, I'm all for my kids holding to the command to honor myself and their mom. Uh, I mean, what parent's not? Um, what parent doesn't uh, love the, that commandment and uh, maybe at times leverage that commandment uh, to their whim and will? Um, as ones who have been parented, I'm sure we have our own experience of that, right? Um, but the command, again, has a promise attached to it. I mean, I, I think, obviously, God's brilliant, and he knows us, and so he attaches a command, a promise to this command as much for the parents as it is for the kids. A promise that assumes that the parents are parenting uh, more than for just survival, just for their own survival or for their kids' survival. The promise of a well life and a long life assumes that we aren't just trying to get through a stage. We aren't just trying to get someone to survive to a certain age. 
right? We're not just trying to survive until they get to a certain age. Sometimes that's true. Um, sometimes it's a sleep stage. If they just get to a certain age, then we can sleep. But, you know, after that, it tends to, there tends to be other things. It's also a promise that assumes that parenting sees beyond getting the child um, just educated, just fed, just the proper care, um, just all the problems solved. It assumes, it envisions for the child a life that is full in their humanity, whole and holy in their unique God-givenness with others, in home, in community, in society. I mean, that, you can't live well and long if you don't live with other people, if you don't live rightly with other people, well with other people, right? And so there's a vision of parenting that we're meant to have. Children honor their parents because their parents aren't just trying to, to, to work them for survival, aren't just trying to keep them surviving, but they envision a life for them that's full and true and good. The goal of raising Cone and Lily in the way they should go on living after they're out of my house at times is an engulfing wave and a task I often feel ill-equipped. Um, and one that, honestly, probably I'm a bit unsuccessful in my execution of, or at least if you were to look at any given day. And maybe you can identify that. Maybe not. Maybe you're perfect parents. Of course, I won't really know, and we don't really know, the fruit of our own labor for a while, um, which adds to this paradox of the blessing of parenting, this, this vexation that is parenting of a, of a blessing and rigor and responsibility and waiting and longing and anticipation and vision and all those things that are future-oriented, right? And again, if you're a parent, you probably have felt those tensions. But even if you're not a parent, um, you probably have experienced the tensions that your parents have felt. <laughs> um, positively at times, negatively at times, you felt the weight of what your parents feel to some degree. Now, I don't think that I'm unique in experiencing this paradox of parenting. I mean, just look at the Amazon or bookshelves, and there's a nearly an unlimited and ever-increasing supply of good and helpful, as well as not-so-good and not-so-helpful books and programs, courses, seminars, podcasts, and the like, promoting ways to help us solve the parenting dilemma and survive the parenting stage of life. And each affirms this duality, right? This duality of delight and rigor of being a dad and being a mom. And again, even if you're not a parent... As an adult who's been parented, you recognize this tension, this mixture of blessing and angst that you felt in your home, right? This missing of blessing and angst that you probably feel in your relationship with your parents still to some degree. The weight of a joyous and worthwhile responsibility and the pressure to help you succeed in life. But here's the thing about this beautiful paradox, right? As, as weighty as it is, as strange as it is, as difficult as it is, it's a responsibility that we don't, not just we have as humans towards one another, but a responsibility, as Sam read for us a few moments ago, that God takes for you and I. It's a responsibility that we share in the image of God. 2 Corinthians 6 says this, it says, I'll, leave, I'll live in them, move into them, I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. We get that, we see that, right? Like we want to be a people of God, like that's why we come to a place like this, we want to worship God. We want to know God. Maybe we're in search for God, so we come to find him here. And that makes sense to us, that God is God and we are his people to some extent. So he says, leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Leave the things that keep you away from God. Leave the things that keep you away from, the, from life in him. Sounds like a dad kind of a little bit already. But leave those things. He says, don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. But then he says this, I'll be a father to you. He moves the analogy from God, this deity, this, this reality that's above us and beyond us into something we all have known. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. The word of the master who is God.
The Apostle Paul here references, um, a, it actually comes from a combination of Old Testament texts. You can't find this reference that Paul says directly in the Old Testament. He's actually combining a couple. To be specific, Paul pulls from Isaiah 43 and Leviticus 26. And it's kind of important for us, I think, um, to, to kind of note a little bit of the context of these. In Isaiah or Leviticus 26, it says this, God speaking again, I will make my dwelling among you. My soul shall not adore you. My, my soul will not be angry with you, will not want to cast you out, will not hold things against you, will, will not keep you from me. My, my soul will not be against you. I will dwell with you and I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Leviticus 26 um, comes in the midst of uh, everybody's favorite book of the Bible, right? Like Leviticus, that's the one we go to often. Um, but it's in this midst of the law of Moses, this kind of rules and regulations for, for life. Again, everything that children love, right? We love rules and regulations. We love our parents to line those out for us. Well, that's kind of what God's doing here in the law of Moses. What Paul calls the, the law a tutor, a guardian set up by God to help us know how to live well, to know, according to Leviticus 26, how to be free, how, how to be once not enslaved, but in relation to him and his dwelling with them and the safety of his affection, live life fully upright. So therefore, to avoid also the pitfalls of a short-lived life, whether in length or in depth. And so God sets these boundaries around us. He sets these rules and regulations for life in his presence, right? Again, probably sounds a lot like our homes. <laughs> um, that's what dad did. He kind of set up the rules and the boundaries. But there's a purpose to them, right? There's a desire from them not to be against us, but to be for us. Not to enslave us, because he's actually done that away with that, but to free us. And then there's Isaiah 43, which says this. Isaiah 43, the chapter starts off, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God's speaking to his people of Israel. He's saying that you are mine. I've named you. Then he says this in verse 6. I will say to the north, give up. And I'll say to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That's a pretty broad stroke, right? Everyone called by my name, everyone I created for my glory, everyone who I have formed and made, I'm calling back to be sons and daughters. Isaiah 43 takes place at a time in Israel's history when they decided, like most kids, to leave home, to do off with the rules and kind of live life on their own way, to, to get out and try to live in their own manner when they had decided they no longer needed or wanted God's guidance for life and had fallen into the short-lived experience of life. But like a good father, God names them. He knows them by name. And God would call them back to who they were created to be fully, truly, and uniquely. There was no lost cause. I mean, the beauty of what, what we have in this, this combination of texts is that God sets for us the boundaries to help us live well, to help us live free. And then when we go past the boundaries, he calls us back, calls us out of what binds us back into who we are meant to be. That's what God's fathering does. In combining these two passages, Paul brings together the command with the promise attached to it that Cohen read for us in Ephesians 6. 
that in God's parenting of us, in our honoring of him, we honor him because this is who God is. This is what God does. And in doing so, we become ones who are able to live well and long in the freedom of our relationship with him. God as Father assumes his parenting is, is for more than mere survival. That God wants us more than just to survive to the end, to get to some sort of time frame that we've lived our life and we're done. That God's fathering for us is for our good, our unique wholeness and holiness in relationship with him and ourselves and our homes, our community and society and the world we inhabit. This is what God longs for us. He has a vision for us. We don't always think of our relationship to God that way, do we? I mean, if we're honest, even as a faith family, even though we've talked about this for eight years now, built, try to build our identity on the reality that God is our Father and we relate to Him as children, our tendency still, often, is to relate to God as what else He is? Creator, amazing, sovereign, holy, or maybe distant, arbitrary and demanding the way we feel he is sometimes? Isn't that our tendency? To elevate him in this high form or to distance him because, well, we just feel like he's not what we wanted. That he's not always looking out for our good, parenting us to live good and long lives. But if you think about it, that's kind of how we've treated our parents at different points in our lives, right? Like, even, and I don't know everybody's story, so forgive me. I know that there, there are wounds and things in our histories and our earthly parents um, that are hard and difficult. And so I'm not trying to make it exactly analogous to what we've experienced in life, but there is some analogy to it. There is some connection to it. It's, it's why God calls himself with such familiarity. Did you know that Jesus... His standard reference for God was not almighty or sovereign or holy or even Lord, but was Father, specifically his Father. That Jesus calls God Father some 165 plus times in the gospel accounts alone. That's pretty significant considering in the Old Testament, God's called Father 15 times with about five or six allusions to the idea of Father. That's a, that's a pretty big difference. All the books of the Old Testament 15 times. The New Testament, first four books, 165 plus times. It seems that Jesus wants us to know something about God and our relationship with God, the Master, the Lord Almighty, that divine words and religious ideals simply do not capture. There's something in Father, God being our Father, that Jesus wants us to enter into, to know, to live out. Now, being a dad of a beautiful girl and a handsome young dude has cultivated a deepening resonance with Jesus' grounding and prolific naming of God as Father, as you can imagine, right? But while you might expect me to muse on about being a parent um, has helped me identify with God who is a parent, uh, and I'm sure that correlation is true for, for, for a lot and has been, and maybe even for some here, um, the reality is I'm still very new at parenting. So I still feel very ill-equipped at parenting. And so that's where Jesus has led me in his calling and naming God Father. And being a dad for these first years of Conan and Lily's life, is they, it's helped me identify more with my childishness in relation to our Heavenly Father than with his parenting. More with my childish in relationship to the Heavenly Father than his parenting. 
After all, if Jesus referenced God as Father, is because he was a child. And that being like Jesus is to be a child too. Now, being a child, you remember it? Does everybody remember being a child at some level? We may be too far from it, right? But like, surely you have memories of childhood. Being a child is freeing. There's, there's a lot of less worries and anxieties. To some degree, it's simple. Even if it didn't feel simple all the time, like the simplicity of your life was, was, was pretty clear. But at the same time, as freeing and simple as it is, it's also utterly overwhelming with a mixture of emotions and experiences. Now, again, we've all gone through this stage, but as parents, we get to witness this reality afresh. That's probably one of the most amazing things about parenting that I've observed so far, is that I get to go through childhood again with my children. I get to see childhood again because my children are children. For example, um, I've observed this simplicity, freedom, and overwhelming mixture of emotions and experiences in Cohen and Lily. I've seen my little girl play in the comforts of a safe home uh, with ample toys, thanks to grandparents and uncles and aunts especially. Imagine yourself to be a warrior princess who is kind and noble, who abruptly determines that her playmate brother is no longer needed and in absolute pain and therefore must be smote. I've witnessed my little buddy in the context of a warm afternoon play catch with me for hours like we're best friends only to have him turn me into his adversary, one out to ruin his very existence when it's time for a bath or, God forbid, piano. Over the course of any given day, any given day, as parents, we can notice our children walk through the anguish of mistakes. Mistakes, just mistakes. But wondering, is that, a, is that a detrimental mistake? How detrimental is it? Is that an identity thing? Is that an ability thing? Like, I made a tremendous mistake. They spilled some water. But right, there's a deep anguish in it, right? We can see the uncontrollable joy of unexpected encounters. A friend that just showed up out of nowhere. This littlest thing that just brought joy. Like, a, like for the littlest kids, some paper. <laughs> and how excited they are with crumpled paper right? Like an unexpected joy. It's amazing. We, we can see the difficulty of discovering and processing new and unwanted feelings, right? We can observe the progress of experiencing the world for the first time and experiencing what's going on in their own world and not being unsure. We get to witness the deep sleep of knowing one is loved and cared for. When I move the kids from my bed or from the couch to their bed and they don't wake up, and it's just this like limp body, like that's a deep sleep because they know they're safe. They know they're cared for. They know they're loved. We can witness in them the frustration with boundaries and disappointment with limits, whatever that might be. Maybe just the number of popsicles that they're allowed to have. We get to see the beauty of friendships being birthed and the pains of communication with friends and parents and the pains of inconsideration where they feel left out. We get to observe the energetic anticipation for tomorrow's adventures, so much so that they can't sleep because they know tomorrow they're going to Gmail and Pappy's to spend the night. And the budding worry of what others might think and do and its implications for what they want, how their worlds are impacted by others' worlds. Again, I think we can all identify with what we observe in our children, right? I mean, how many things that I said, well, though I gave kitty illusions were you this week. 
And it's not simply because we went, we went through childhood. It's because in some ways we still are children. But of course, this mixture of, of emotions and experiences of simplicity and of freedom is just my children becoming fully human. It's just my children growing up, which is the same for you. My children experiencing the world internally and externally in relationship with those who are looking out for their good, cultivating in them a whole in holiness is what we call the process of maturing. It's this unstoppable force of growing up. That's what they're doing. That's what we observe in their life. That's what we get to be a part of as parents. Observing in my children the ups and downs of growing up in relationship to their full humanity compels me to contemplate my own maturing as a human, as a child of God. At times, myself knowing all the moments of simplicity and freedom that they experience, and at times being overwhelmed by the mixture of emotions and experiences of growing up with God as my father, just as Jesus grew up with his, knowing God as his father. Did you know that? That Jesus actually went through this process? That this is what Jesus did? This is what it says in Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus did this. Jesus was a part of this process of growing up. And what a wonderful and actually complex experience it is to be a child growing up. But growing up is not a stage. Un, unlike the way we think about it, when we hit 18, we don't stop growing up. It is rather the human task. The human task. At no point in our living do we become exempt from the realities of growing up, and specifically, growing up into who our Father has created us to be. To, as Paul would say earlier in the book of Ephesians, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus. At no point in our life do we become exempt from this reality, from this process of growing up. All other growing up we do, physically, socially, mentally, emotionally, financially, etc., all of that is meant to be put to the service of growing up in Christ. All of that comes under the reality of growing up in Christ. All of that we experience through the reality of growing up in Christ. Maturing not only within ourselves, but in our relationship with God and with others, is the vision our Father has for His children. That's what God has envisioned for us. A vision for long, forever life. A vision for good, complete, and whole life in relationship to Him. In the goodness of being one who does good for others and brings about goodness and flourishing within the world that we exist. That's the vision God has for you and me as His children. And it is owning this human task, the human task, where parenting becomes a gift, a means of grace. And by means of grace, this is what I'm saying. What I'm describing and when I say means of grace is a God-ordained experience that regardless of appearances in my feelings at any given moment I might have towards, at, towards it at the time, gets us to the end that God intends for us. Means of grace gets us to the end that God attend, intends for us, regardless of what I think about it in the moment. And what is the end that God intends for us? The same end that we intend for our kids. A whole life, a good life, a well life, and a long life. Parenting actually helps us get to where we're going as children of God. Now we need to recognize that grace does not protrude pain and bewilderment. 
Rather, as Eugene Peterson reminds us, it's biblically, it actually usually includes it. Um, and listen, every parent, we know that, right? That parenting, as glorious as it is, also includes difficulties and bewilderments, pains and losses, as well as confusions. But that doesn't mean it's not grace. It does not mean it's not a means of grace to God getting us to the end that he desires for us. And here's the beauty of this means of grace of parenting. Um, it comes to us when we need it most. At a time in our lives when we have the world at our fingertips, life figured out, revolving around what we want and can do, when we are appropriate leaving childish things, but also are beginning to forget what it means to be a child that is growing up, that's usually when we have kids. <laughs> Again, maybe you don't have kids here and you haven't experienced this, but you've experienced to some level the reality of the world kind of revolving around where you're at, right? This kind of stage of life where you're able to live free in the way you want it to. But then usually something comes in and hits you. Something comes in and brings you back to the perspective of a needing God. Well, parenting is one of those things. <laughs> We often become parents at the moment when our world is our own. And then suddenly it's a world overtaken by these precious little enigmas that are blessed reminders of who we are as children and whose aim we have for them is our aim in life as well, to grow up into the promise. And so each day we wake into the, with this daily prompt of our identity and our aim. And we see this prompt running around our homes and we set out to become master craftsmen in growing up in Jesus. Every day I'm prompted by my children to remember who I am, a child, and what my aim is, to live well and long in, in relationship to God and others. Because that's what I want for them. And so I'm reminded to become, encouraged to become a master craftsman in growing up in Jesus. Look again at what Paul said and Cohen read for us a few moments ago in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 4 says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Don't anger your children. Don't provoke them to anger, I think is the ESV's translation of it. Don't be ones who, who try to force your kids into something in a way that, that draws life out of them, but builds them up. Again, recognizing full and well what we've seen in the Old Testament there, that, that there will be time, plenty of times in, in, um, you know, in our own lives too where we will run from whatever good thing our parents have put in place to help us, just as Israel did for God, just as we do to God. But that's not our goal. is isn't to exasperate, to anger them, but rather to take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. How do we do that well? How do we parent well? Well, according to Paul, we grow up like Jesus into who we are made to be and formed to be as daughters and sons of God, ourselves following the way of the master. To take the hand and lead our child in the way of the master assumes that we too are on the way of the master, that we are following his lead. But now we take our child's hand with us. We're not just walking on our own, but we're walking hand in hand. And we plunge into the process of growth, their growth and ours commenting on what, um, what he observed in the life of his, his own children, having raised three grown children and having pastored for almost four decades. Eugene Peterson says that amongst the parents who seem to get this right, who seem to live well up to the promise and command in relation to their children, he says this. Here's what he notices. He says, actual practices of parents who seem to get it, 
who seem to be honorable, who seem to have a vision for their kids, who seem to live this life of faith in Jesus well. There are actual practices very widely. There are particular rules, techniques of discipline. They're all kind of all over the place. There's a variation in strictness and permissiveness, and they run the gamut. Yet, Peterson contends, one thing stands out. These parents seriously, honestly, and joyfully follow the way of Christ Jesus themselves. They don't define parenting as a problem to try and solve it or a stage to get over. Rather, they engage in vigorous Christian growth on their own, and this is the key, permitting their children to look over their shoulders while they do it. They pursue Jesus in a way that their kids are a part of it, right there to see it, to watch. The family is a most useful, maybe the most useful arena in which we learn the faith that allows one to live well and to live long. Thornton Wilder says this, he says, family life is like a hall endowed with the finest acoustical properties. A hall where one word echoes and the whole house hears it. Growing children hear not only their parents' words, and in most cases, gradually ignore them, <laughs> as Israel did, God, as we did, our parents, as um, I know they're right over here, as Cohen and Lily did this morning to me um, and mom. <laughs> but they hear not only their parents' words, but they hear their parents' intentions the attitudes behind their words. In other words, they hear in their parents their hearts. Just as in the words of God, we hear the heart of the Father. The words of Jesus, we hear the heart of the Father. Above all, they learn what their parents really admire and really despise. And isn't that what Jesus tried to draw out for us in his life? To help us see what God really admires and really despises. To know the heart of the Father so that our hearts would be like the Father that we'd be able to live like the Father because we shared his heart. In other words, parenting isn't that too dissimilar from the old practice of apprenticeship, just applied to family life. The thing that we talk about all the time as a faith family, following Jesus. We parents are little M masters to which the young apprentice is placed in close association for a period of years. They get to walk with us for a certain amount of time in very intimate settings. Through this hand-in-hand relationship, a discipline is shared. We share a discipline with our children, the goal of human life growing up. The discipline of our kids, not discipline like in trouble, but the the thing that, that that they do and become good at is growing up. It's the same thing we share with them, growing up. Skills are acquired in this trade. Skills are acquired in growing up. And the work is discussed. The master is seen at his best and his worst. As all parents know, right? We can't run from it. The master allows herself to be vulnerable to the apprentice who sees her make mistakes and and how she reacts to her mistakes. The master craftsman may not be a good educational psychologist knowing all the ins and outs of child development and behavior. And he certainly is not perfect person but she has to be good at what she is doing. Likewise, the parents, they don't have to be experts in child rearing, meeting every need and solving every problem in preparation for the child's life. How many of you have felt that tension? 
that our job is to meet every need and to overcome every problem and to solve everything for our children so that we can ensure that they have a good and true life. We don't have to be experts in child rearing or have read the latest book, taken the latest course, listened to the newest podcast on parenting right. Not necessarily bad, but not necessary. And they don't have to, we parents don't have to live perfect lives. We can't. But we must take seriously what we are doing, which is growing up in Jesus. We must do that openly, like a lamp on a stand shedding light on the entire house, as Jesus said we would last week. Doing it openly before our children so that our children can observe, imitate, and make mistakes, which we all know is a part of growing up but doing so in the context of care and faith. The task of the parent is not to confront directly the problems of the young and find the best solutions to them. It is to confront life and Jesus in life and deal with that. To confront life and Jesus in life and deal with that. Life in all its simplicity, freedom, and overwhelming emotions and experiences of any given day in which we take a breath. And Jesus there too, in all of that, is to be a master craftsman in growing up. Growing up is our task. It is the human task, whether we are parents or not. A task we are to take seriously, honestly, and joyfully as it is exercised openly for the sake and the good of others, whether our kids, our neighbors, our roommates, our friends, our family. And for those who are parents today, because it's Father's Day and we've talked a lot about parenting, Jesus' model and Paul's encouragement for us is to embrace, admit, and submit to the good reality that we are children too. That we'll parent better when we parent as kids, the Father's kids, and plunge with our children into the process of growing up. When we do, we'll discover that we parent from a place of need and dependence rather than authority and force. And in such a place, we are able to receive all that we need each day from our Father in heaven who gives us, his children, the ability to do what he longs us for us to do. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are Father, that we can call you Father. In the reality of what we've talked about from a perspective of parents, Lord, it's true of all of us in this room, whether we are parents or not, that we are your children. And because of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, we have the right to be called children of God. Because you've come after us. You said to the north and to the south, don't hold back, give it up. And so now we dwell with you, we walk with you in the place that Jesus has prepared for us together. May we, may we become skilled craftsmen in growing up in Jesus. Not just for our own souls and our own sakes, but for those of the youngest here, for those that are not here yet, for neighbors, for friends, for the glory of your name and all of creation. 
We pray with hope and with confidence because this is what you desire and because your son Jesus has overcome everything that would keep us from life. So it's in his name we pray and believe. Amen. Chasing, my chaser ever keeping.
chasing, my chaser ever keeping, my keeper ever giving, my ever living you're at home, you can grab your communion elements. If you're here, your communion elements are actually in the seat right in front of you. There's just a little uh, cup with some um, a little wafer on it. Um, for those who are new with us, or maybe this is uh, your first time or who I don't know, let me just, just want to kind of tell you what we're doing. Um, every time we gather together, whether in this setting or in community, we do this thing called communion. We remember Jesus's body broken for us, like the bread broken before us, and his blood poured out for us, like the juice poured out for us, as a tangible, tasteable way of remembering that Christ died for our sins. And that because this is just juice and bread, it also means that he's a living God. He's alive, that he died and rose again for us. And that we live out of the nutrients of that reality, the goodness of that thing that we taste. And so together, when we come into this space or in our homes, when we take the bread and the communion, it's, it's an opportunity for us to reflect on that, to remember that, to let our hearts be formed by the reality of Jesus dying for us and living so that we might live. And then, and as we will in just a moment, confess. Confess that we need God, and that God gives us all that we need, especially through Jesus. And so I'm just going to give us just a second just to think about that. And if for any reason you don't want to partake, that's absolutely okay. But if you do, I would invite you in just a moment to read with me the words on the screen. So I'm just going to be quiet for about 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and just let us reflect on the reality of Christ dead for us, dying for us, and Christ living so that we might live. Jesus taught us how to talk to our Father. And so let us speak to our Father in the way Jesus showed us to speak. Read together. Our Father in heaven, let your name, your relationship with us be treated with reverence. Let your good desire become life as we experience it in our homes, community, city, and the world. Give us all that we need for today. And let us not fear that we will have any less tomorrow. Forgive us what we've owed but cannot pay, as we also forgive those who are indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, to a place where we cannot tell up from down, but deliver us from evil and the evil one. For you truly are with us and for us, and everything good and beautiful is yours now and forever. Shared with us through Jesus. Because Jesus is life-given and living still, we can pray. Amen.
close together in song as we do. But we'll let this song um, just be a prayer that we'll pray together for one another, for ourselves. For ourselves as parents, maybe for our parents, for those we call friends. together in prayer. This comes from the book of Ephesians. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take it in with all followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. So reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights. Live full lives, 
full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does not, he does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church, glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus, glory down all through the generations, glory through all millennia, oh yes. Amen. Thank you. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Love you guys. Uh, Don't forget 6 a.m. adoration prayer tomorrow morning and then in the evening as well. So thank you, and we'll see you next week, if not sooner.